people who might not have a lot of exposure to agriculture look at agriculture as being very laborious, backbreaking, difficult work. And for some people, that's very true. However, I think one of our goals is to start to think about, well, what does agriculture mean relative to, te- to technology, to water use, to good, being good stewards of the land, to creating um, economic development for your community, and using agriculture as a platform to address a lot of the social conditions that we are faced with these days. Agriculture can be a foundation for many other things beyond just picking vegetables or driving a tractor. It's really a launching point to think about how we can grow as a community and grow as a society. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Well, oftentimes I sit down for a conversation and it brings back some memories. In today's case, it brings back memories of, I think, when I was a third grader, if I'm not mistaken, when I was involved with pledging my head, heart, health, and hands. So that seems like a heavy duty there, but uh, the person I'm speaking to today knows what I'm talking about. It's Lynn Schmidt-McQuitty, and Lynn is the director of the California 4-H program. Lynn, did I did I get it right? I'm not sure if I left anything out of my my 4-H pledge. It it's a mouthful. Um, the only other thing I would add is that we are part of the University of California system and housed within the Division of Agriculture and Natural Resources. So thank you so much for inviting me today. Roger. Oh yeah, no, you're you're welcome. And and uh, you know, I want to talk about 4-H because we haven't talked about 4-H much, and and it it used to be that I tended to think of 4-H for young people that, in my case, they were mostly farm kids that were in 4-H. I I guess it's changed, has it not? Well, I guess it's it's expanded. You know, 4-H began in 1902 in Ohio, Hmm. really with the idea of when Cooperative Extension first started, the university was having a difficult time getting farmers to change their agricultural practices. Oh, no, that's farmers, a <laughs> they, they just weren't keen on, on changing anything. So they had this idea, well, let's, let's start working with young people who might get excited about doing some things differently, which then in turn inspired adults to change practices as well. And that, 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 You know what? I've never heard that before. Yeah, man. yeah. I mean, so, I've had so many conversations on, and I've been around 4-H, but that's the first I've I've heard, which is really interesting because in other topics I know, everybody's saying, well, gee, how do we change the way we do this? Or how do we change this and that? And yeah. going back to trying to change the attitude of children that are growing, grow up someday, right? That's that's pretty long range thinking. Well, think about it. They're like sponges, right? I mean, they're, 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 they're curious, they're, they ask a lot of questions, they're really open and available to new information. Mm-hmm. So that was, you know, a strike of luck and a strike of really forward, a strike of really forward thinking. And for each began as corn clubs, you know, they wanted to change practices around 
corn production and corn harvesting. And that was kind of the focus of the first 4-H program. Right. And then, you know, as things evolved, um, boys and girls beyond just the agrarian community started to get involved with the 4-H program. And while agriculture is certainly still a foundational component of the program. So for instance, here in California, the animal science programs continue to be one of the largest draws for young people to participate. We really have expanded the breadth of the program. And while we, while we tend to think about young people learning about agriculture, what we're really hoping to instill in young people are those 21st century marketable skills. So they use raising poultry and uh, showing sheep to really learn about finances and decision-making and communicating and working as a team, all those skills that regardless of what your content area of expertise is, those skills that employers are so desperately looking for in employees. Because as we all know, doesn't matter how much you know about poultry, if you can't communicate or get along with your colleagues, that makes work a very difficult environment. So we use science and primarily agricultural science as a tool to develop all those leadership and civic engagement skills in young people that make them good employees, make them viable citizens in their communities, and then also help to inspire young people to do good work. You know, I want to go back on those inspirations because I know I experienced some myself and I've seen others go through some of the inspirations that you have. But I want to go back to this idea of having an influence on, you know, someday they grow up and and it's got them thinking about certain approaches. I'm curious, do you have any data that shows that kids that have been in 4-H, for example, um, are more likely to major in agriculture than people that weren't in 4-H? So several years ago, um, the national 4-H program, so 4-H is not only here in California, but it's throughout all of our 50 states and also some of our territories like Guam and the Northern Mariana Islands. Um, The national 4-H program uh, worked with the, the, the Search Institute and with Richard Lerner at Tufts University to do some research about what the real impacts of 4-H are, not immediately for young people, but kind of for that long-term trajectory. And how does that help to inspire um you know, what goes on in the future and what are those greatest impacts. And I'm looking as we're talking, I'm not doing a good job of being able to talk. And um, here we go. We'll stall while you read. Yeah, so here we go. So relative to what 4-H does for young people, in California, we rank 29th in the or 49th, excuse me, 49th in the com- country on science literacy amongst eighth graders. Not a great st- statistic that we like to tout. So, out of the 50 states, eighth graders in California rank 49th, and only 21% of seniors 
in high school are considered to be proficient in science. However, young people in 4-H, we have found through this study by, by Richard Lerner, is that 4-H members are one and a half times as likely to do well in science class, and that girls are two times as likely to have plans to pursue science careers. So through these experiences that they have by connecting real-world experiences, are the activities to real world experiences, we find that 4-H helps young people um, prepare them for these experiences and allows them to see themselves as scientists, as people who can make positive contributions to their communities. Um, similarly, around the environment in healthy living, you know, um, how young people feel about their ability to make good decisions for their health. We, we learned that 4-H members are two and a half times as likely to report healthy habits. So less propensity for alcohol, taking drugs, smoking, risky behavior, and that they're 3.2 times more likely to exercise, which obviously makes a contribution back to healthy communities, less demand on social services, less demand on, on health and things like that. So there is evidence that some of the, the um the methodologies that we use in 4-H help to contribute to not only individual success for the young person as they move from children into adulthood, but also community um, improvements as well. Anytime you look at data like that, of course, you always have to kind of wonder what else is being correlated to, because, I mean, those are also people that are pretty active and they're probably they're looking on, you know, outside activities and they get into 4-H. Right, I'm, right. I'm, wonder, I'm wondering if there's also some some positive indications for Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts and and other organizations. Um, just getting kids involved, uh, right? Like you know, and I, and certainly I I'm I'm a proponent of the 4-H program, but I, I I agree with what you're saying, Roger. That if we can get young people engaged in social learning, environmental activities that get them to think independently, make a difference in their lives and make a difference in communities, whether that's 4-H or FFA, Boys and Girls Club, YMCA, scouting, whatever it means, or however it looks for that individual, I think they all have an opportunity to improve a young person's life experience and guide them on a path to better living, whether that's you know entering the workforce, college and career preparation, um, opportunities to um, provide civic engagement or leadership, whatever it might be. I think a lot of it can happen through these opportunities that youth programs provide for young people. You know, again, as, as a kid, I still can vividly remember going to my first 4-H club uh, meetings, I think. And, and you know, we st always started with a Pledge of Allegiance and after we pledged allegiance to the flag, we did our 4-H pledge right. that we mentioned is the head, the heart, health, hands. But And the, the other thing about that particular pledge is it was to my club, my community, and my country. That's right. And I, I know almost 
no other experience like that. I mean, I've been in Rotary clubs and I've been in some others that have, well, there actually is a Rotary pledge. But that indication of having people kind of express what they stand for or get them to get in the habit of committing to uh, a larger good. Again, community and country, um, yeah, it seems like we could use more of that. And the program is really committed to that. So when a young person or a family joins the 4-H Youth Development Program, most likely their first experience is at that local community level, right? So if you live in the town of Davis, you join a community of people in the Davis community that are all in 4-H. But then you have these broader experiences. There's things to do with that you can do within Yolo County. There's things that you can do within the state of California. Then we also have regional events. So the 13 states in the Western region, the nation of California or the nation of the United States, excuse me. And then also there are international programs as well. So this commitment to my club, my community, my country and my world is really instilled through that trajectory of opportunities that young people have access to. And what I like so much about the 4-H Youth Development Program is that the young person and their family can really choose where they want that sweet spot to be, right? Where do I want to um, make my mark? Where do I really want to invest my effort? And maybe it's it's very community-based or very localized, and other young people, they can't wait to have that experience to talk with young people in, in Washington, D.C., and in Nevada, in Oklahoma, wherever it might be. And regardless of that, what level you engage at, there's still opportunities for learning, there's still opportunities for that relationship building, and there's still opportunities for growth and development. Yeah, I think my first commitment was to a Yorkshire sow that was pregnant, and her name was Elizabeth. And at uh, 10 years old, I had a Yorkshire sow. And I have to mention a couple of other things on the discipline that I think a lot of us, again, stuck with me all these years, is that you you had a project and you had to keep records. In my case, you had I kept track of the feed cost and everything that I did. And I had a record book that I could bring in and show how I was doing with my record book. And then I had to give periodic talks. Right. And, you know, I think the first talk I had to give in front of a group that included all these kids and their parents, uh, you know, I was like 10 years old. And I'm, I'm standing there, kind of my knees are shaking, but everybody went through that. That's right. And, and I, I think often today, there are so many things going on beyond agriculture, where I see people that get kind of tangled up and afraid to stand up and speak their piece. And, and yet I think, thank goodness that I had that kind of put into me at, at such a young age. Uh, and I'm, I'm always grateful to, for that. You know, I harken back to 10 years old and say, sure. I had to stand up in front of a group of people and speak. And then, then you had a demonstration contest and I, I won the demonstration contest and went on to state with how to fold a flag or something like that. Yeah. It, was, it was, didn't, and a back rubber for cattle, you know. Well, and I won't ask you how many decades ago that was, but obviously it's something that resonated, resonated with 
with you, right? I mean, all, right. all these years later, you can still remember that experience. Yep. And if you think about what happened when you were a 10 year old and how we really, we like to say that we set you up for success, you know, you had to, you had to research a topic. You had to balance your, your accounting, your expenses for raising your sow, which then lends itself to being able to manage your bank book, file your taxes, be able to conduct an argument or a persuasion or to help educate others about a particular topic or an area that you feel passionate about, that 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 controlled debate, that opportunity to be literate in a particular topic and help others understand that, right? And those, I would say that those skills, that's the heart of what the 4-H program is. Now, granted, if we were to say to a 10-year-old, we're going to teach you how to balance a checkbook and do finances, that's not going to be very attractive to anybody. But we're going to teach you how to do that because of owning a sheep or building a rocket Right. Or perhaps it's because we're going to build park benches at the local community park. You're going to learn all these other things. Then that grounds that learning experience in something real and something meaningful for the young people. That regardless of how well the sheep did at market or how well that picnic bench stood up the test of time, the skills that you gain through that experience are going to help guide you through the rest of your life. Yeah, yeah, it, it really does. Let, let's say that, you know, you have kids now and you would and you wanted to explore the possibility of your kids of an age of uh, 10 or 11 or so or to get started. How do they find out uh, if there is a 4-H club in their area that they could participate in? Sure. So the best thing to do would be to contact your county cooperative extension office. And 4-H here in California has a cooperative extension office in 57 of our 58 counties. So Alpine, because most of the kids there go to school in Nevada, we've connected them with the Nevada program. But everybody else has a cooperative extension office in their county. And in that county office is the 4-H Youth Development Program. So that would be the best place to start. Well, and we do have we do have listeners all over. And and so and I'm pretty sure there's county extension offices in almost everywhere in throughout the country and in Canada, too, Canada as well. Yes. And so if they look to the county offices, I don't know where you look up, like here, we're Sacramento County. So you do just uh, do a Google for Sacramento County. I think I would would search in 4-H in Sacramento County, you know or 4-H in Manitoba, Canada, or 4-H in uh, a Louisiana parish or or something like that. And um, that would then connect you with your local office. And then there becomes some decision-making, right, about which community club or which type of program you might like to be involved with. So for instance, there are, there are community clubs, and some of them are organized in such a way that they're primarily for people who live in Sacramento. But there might be a club in Sacramento County that really focuses on rocketry and robotics. So maybe that might be the best place for that child because that's where really, their interest is. Or maybe they've got a bunch of family members or students that they go to school with in a particular club. So that could be an option as well. Then in addition, we also have a variety of other avenues that young people can participate because we recognize that the community club program might not be the best fit for everybody. 
So there could be in-school programs. There could be after-school programs. Here in California, we do a lot of camping programs that are open to kids from all walks of life. So they could even just have a uh, what you might think about as a short-term experience by going to 4-H summer camp, by which, by which all these experiences could happen as well. Wow. So we really try to think about, you know, um, what are the interests of the young people? What are the goals? And how can we best meet meet those goals? And then looking at the menu of program options that we have available and trying to connect them to the best resources. Now, obviously, uh, animals are maybe more difficult to have as a project in cities, but I suppose in cities they can have chickens and rabbits and, and, and sometimes goats, I suppose. So obviously, um, animal ownership might be dictated by city ordinances and things like that. However, it is not uncommon for there to be horseless horse programs or goatless goat programs. So where if you are a person that lives in the city and doesn't own a horse, but you're very interested in equine science, you might get paired up with someone else in the community who owns a horse. So you can have that same experience, or there might be an opportunity for you to actually own a horse or a rabbit or poultry or whatever, and house it somewhere else besides your own home so that you can have those experiences. So there's a lot of creative activity that kind of goes into problem solving. I know prior to coming to the to the state 4-H office and I was out in the field, we had, um, in one of the counties that I worked in, we actually had a piece of land that was donated to us that we used as a 4-H farm. So if you lived in in town and didn't have room for for a sheep or or a goat, you could have access to some of the farm facility and how's your animal out there? And there are many examples of that across the state, not only in California, but in other places as well. So we hope to try and not make owning an animal if that's where you're really interested in, the ability to house that we hope that's not an obstacle for young people. But I also do want to point out that um, you don't have to do animals or agriculture to be in 4-H. There are a lot of other things that you can do, lots of things around health and around engineering, as well as around um, sewing and cooking and, and culinary arts and a variety of other experiences that maybe people aren't necessarily thinking about when they hear 4-H. You know... Again, I, I know that you, we used to go up to like eighth grade. And then when we got into high school, people kind of switched from 4-H to FFA as was kind of my experience. And I I think I phased out of 4-H. It wasn't like a, a hard stop, but I kind of got into FFA instead. But today, there's very few FFA organizations around. I mean, it's just a lot less than they used to be. And so I, I kind of wonder about that about that role of 4-H, how, how long it extends. And there's not as the, that same opportunity for kind of handing off to, uh, to other type of programs, it seems. So typically, regardless of where you live in in the United States, 4-H is for ages five to 19. Mm. They might not start until seven, depending on where you live, but five is definitely the lowest end. And Similarly to your experience, the bulk of our enrollment is probably between 9 and 12. 
Mm-hmm. When, when people or when young people then get to be high school age and they are in a school system that has the FFA program, a lot of young people do migrate to, to FFA. And one of the biggest advantages for them to do that is that FFA is a class that they take in school. So they get academic credit for it in graduation and it's part of their school day. So there's less demand, if you will, on evening and weekend experiences in order to have uh, the 4-H experience or the FFA experience. We also in California do allow dual enrollment, so you can be in both programs. You can't take beef or swine in both programs, but you can be in FFA and 4-H at the same time. And we do have a lot of young people that participate that way as well. Kind of depends on where your passion is, what your time commitment looks like. You know that once you get into that driving age, you're, you might be working and you have to balance those commitments between home and school, work, sports, other extracurricular activities. So some families find that it's a little bit easier to manage FFA because it's part of the school program as opposed to 4-H, which is in addition to. Now, I only know of one 10-year-old that listens to my podcast. <laughs> And um, it's kind of a inside thing that I've kind of leaned on her that she has to listen to her, her grandpa's podcast. But the I think beyond that, though, there are people who are parents and they've got kids that could be in 4-H or there are grandparents and they've got grandkids and they're getting more involved in trying to help out as well. Uh, and and then I think there might maybe there are community people, community involvement that uh, that they would like to help out as a leader or an assistant with a with a club too. Uh, so for all of those different needs, um, how do people kind of like sign in to either get their kids or grandkids involved in 4-H or look to volunteer to be able to help? You know, that, I'm so glad you brought that up. In California, in during the 19... 19- Uh, excuse me, during the 2019-2020 4-H program year, we had over 100,000 young people participate in 4-H. However, all of them are engaging in the program because of volunteers. In California, during that same period, we had 14,000 adult volunteers managing the, the education and delivery of the program. There is no way that we could deliver the types of programs and have the kind of impact and have the experiences that we do for young people if it weren't for volunteers. A lot of those volunteers are parents and grandparents, and a lot of them are people from the community in general who may never have had any 4-H experience before. And that's okay. We provide education. We provide training. Obviously, we we do our due diligence about creating a safe environment for young people and and do background checks and things along those lines to ensure that we've got appropriate adult supervision. Um, But similarly to getting young people involved by contacting your cooperative extension office, the same would be true to become an adult volunteer. And adult volunteers can serve in a lot of different roles. They could be Um, a project leader. So if you've got a passion around computer programming that you would like to share with young people, that could become a project. Maybe you're an engineer or a welder, or maybe your passion is gardening or beekeeping. That could be a project. 
Or you could even be more of an organizational person. So if you would like to lead or facilitate a community club or develop an after school program in your school district or at the YMCA, there are there are a myriad of opportunities. Really, the only things we don't allow are, are skydiving and we don't allow scuba diving because there's a, some associated risks with those projects. But otherwise, if you've got a passion that you think young people would be interested in, it's very likely that we could come up with some type of learning experience for you to engage with young people. How about podcasting for 10-year-olds? We could probably do that, Roger. Would yeah, you like well, to be a volunteer? Oh, well, I know. I'll think about it. I'll think about it. I, I think I could learn a few things from, from 10-year-olds. Oh, my gosh. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> you, you know, I mean, I, uh, now, I happen to notice there's, um, uh, I saw one state that huge numbers, like over 500,000 4-H members. Uh, is there a difference in the states because there's different levels of funding or, uh, or is it, do you find that some regions of the country are more in the habit of 4-H traditions than other regions of the country? <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yes, and yes. There's. I mean, there's. There's. So, 4-H is part of cooperative extension, which gets its funding from the federal government, from the USDA at the federal government, from the state legislature into the land grant university at the state level, and then also county government at the local level. So, it's kind of a three-legged stool. And as we know, not every state is equal in population and resources and things like that. So you're going to find a lot of variance from state to state, as well as from county to county, depending on how the program is delivered. For instance, in some of our southeastern states, like in Tennessee and Kentucky, and I believe in Georgia, 4-H is there is part of the school curriculum. So they actually do... 4-H in school during the school day. We don't, yeah, so we don't have that here in California. So because of the types of ways that 4-H can be delivered, you're going to find a variance in the numbers of participating kids and the, and the way that they manage volunteers. It's going to be different from place to place. But I would say that the, the tenets of the program remain the same, but the delivery has a lot of variability depending on circumstances. Well, as you look down the road and, you, and you've been adjusting and growing and, and you know, the, the program has evolved, uh, and certainly since the years that I was involved in 4-H, um, down the road, what makes you the most optimistic about the future of 4-H programs? Great question. I guess for me, it's that there's this blend of staying true to our roots around science and science and agriculture while expanding who gets exposure to those programs. Um, right now, at least in California, our primary, our primary audience is not rural farm youth. It's primarily suburban kids who may or may not have a connection to agriculture or an understanding of agriculture, or even an, an opportunity to experience um, leadership opportunities or leadership and civic engagement experiences. So I would say that 
as I mentioned at the beginning, that our roots are in agriculture and around science education. But how that translates to the public and how it translates to learning experiences for young people is always evolving and always changing. Um, I'll give you a very specific example. Um, I, I think that people who might not have a lot of exposure to agriculture look at agriculture as being very laborious, backbreaking, difficult work. And for some people, that's very true. However, I think one of our goals is to start to think about, well, what does agriculture mean relative to, te to technology, to water use, to good, being good stewards of the land, to creating um, economic development for your community and using agriculture as a platform to address a lot of the social conditions that we are faced with these days and getting, getting, buying, getting people to understand that agriculture can be a foundation for many other things beyond just picking vegetables or driving a tractor. And I think that that's one of the greatest challenges that we have in the 4-H Youth Development Program is that we can be a platform to inspire young people to, to have careers in science, to have careers in health, to have careers in medicine, recreation, to have kids um, looking at solving problems around pollution and understanding where our um, food is grown and how food relates to positive self-image and access to, to fresh foods and vegetables and what that means for communities and societies. It's really a launching point to think about how we can grow as a community and grow as a society. You know, that reminds me, I remember when there were, um, there was a club that was actually uh, youth that had been in trouble. And it was uh, a camp, we call it, I don't know, the, the, I don't know, something youth club or something like that. And they were, you know, they were good kids. I think they were all, all boys when I was around them. And they did a really good job, but they had a youth farm and they were a club. And and I just thought that it was it was genius at the time because they were kind of on the way to being juvenile delinquents and they got rerouted into a really active 4-H program. Do things like that still exist? Absolutely. They absolutely do exist. Um, here in California, in the northern or excuse me, in the eastern Sierras, we have one of our academics that's working with the juvenile hall and providing them with job training experiences and these um, opportunities to develop skills. During the recent year um, facing COVID, we had a really exciting program here in California um, called Disease Detectives, where young people actually learned about the COVID variant and the COVID um, virus and taught how to keep yourself safe to other young people. So they were actually being ambassadors of good health, ambassadors of how to keep safe, explaining these complicated scientific experiences and, and terms to young people so that they could relieve stress, so that they would have information to make good decisions. And then at the same time, propel themselves as being leaders in their communities and, 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 and develop an area of expertise. So there's a lot of opportunities for that to happen, absolutely. 
Well, I tell you, it's really nice talking to you and, and looking at 4-H again and seeing where people connect. And one more time, would you give them an address on internet that they might be able to get more information or, or even remind them again of the county offices they could try to chase down? Right. So um, here in California, you can reach the state 4-H office through the University of California at the Division of Agriculture and Natural Resources at ca4h.org. So that's how you would reach our office. However, if you're not in California and you're um, elsewhere, you can search your local county or parish name in 4-H. So um, Yolo County 4-H, Manitoba 4-H, Louisiana 4-H. It's a pretty common uh, theme or methodology in order to identify where you can connect in your local communities. And um, I, I would really, I would welcome any phone calls or emails around the program and we would be able to get you connected to your local resources and find uh, a program that fits well for you and your family and your young people and uh, see where it goes. Well, thank you. We're speaking with Lynn Schmidt-McQuitty, the California 4-H Director. Lynn, thank you for being on Farm to Table Talk and pledging your head, heart, health, and hands to your community and, and the country. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Roger. Always happy to, to, to talk about the program. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. If you like what you hear, go to farmtotabletalk.com and follow us. On-